everyone. I'm Jen Garrett and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. On this podcast, we are going to talk about how to succeed in business and in life by putting winning strategies into practice to help you advance faster. So if you're looking to move forward and reach that next level of greatness, then you are in the right place. Now get ready. Let's suit up, show up and move the ball. Hey everyone, Jen Garrett here. It's so great to be back with you on another episode of Move the Ball. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Now today, inside the huddle with us and ready to help us to move the ball is Brad Childress. Brad has spent many decades as a coach for many different college football programs as well as NFL franchises, including serving as the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, the OC for the Cleveland Browns, and for the Kansas City Chiefs. And there's a, a number of other programs that Brad has uh, been able to coach with, and we're going to get into those later here in the show. Brad, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Jennifer. Well, you have a wealth of coaching experience, and I'm really looking forward to our chat today and you sharing just some great insights and experiences with us on what it takes to be a great coach, a great leader. So I want to start off by talking about how did you get into coaching? So you're in college, Eastern Illinois. Share with us how your coaching journey began. Yeah, I went to, I went to Eastern Illinois my first year. I hurt my neck my senior year and hurt it again after I transferred from Eastern to Illinois running down on a kickoff team uh, back when they had 30 practices in 30 days in, in college football. Really wasn't ready to let loose of it. I, I guess the way I thought about it is I would love to try to make a paycheck in football, and I didn't know who was going to be as a, a, a trainer, a coach, a player. Uh, obviously, the player thing ended up fizzling, but I just wanted to do that. So I started as a student coach. Gary Moeller gave me an opportunity, then hired me as a graduate assistant. I was able to make it through a coaching change uh, to Mike White, who hired me full-time, my first full-time job for $26,500. That was all the money there was back then. Coach running backs, coach wide receivers, coach quarterbacks. And so at Illinois, uh, while you were the wide receivers coach from 81 to 84, you guys had four consecutive winning seasons, including a Big Ten championship and an appearance and the Rose Bowl. And uh, that season, you guys, just for those that may not know, you guys were the first team in Big Ten conference history to defeat all nine opponents in the conference. So that was great. So you guys are there in California, in Pasadena. It's January 2nd, 1984, and you're playing unranked UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Last, the year before, the Bruins had won the Rose Bowl, beating out Michigan. And in this game, Illinois was favored to win. You guys had a 10-1 and record going into it. Talk to us about just that trip and how you were feeling about being in the Rose Bowl? Well, we had, we had a number of junior college players and lots of kids from California. Back then, there were no indoor facilities, Jen. So the head coach made a decision. He was in California as well, that we would go out and beat the weather. There was a raging blizzard in Champaign, nowhere to practice. And, and I can remember walking up the, the steps of the plane going, wow, we're getting out of here. And then next thing you know, we're in Newport Beach, California, practice. And I'm going, what a, what a difference this is right here. Um, so we got out there, we spent 18 days uh, before that Rose Bowl. Uh, as I've said, I maintain that if we could have played at the end of the week, it would have been great, but 18 days, we were worn out. Sure, and talk to us about the, the game. I mean, UCLA ended up winning that game 45-9. to nine. Uh, What was said afterwards? What lessons did the team take away from that experience? 
Well, you got to take care of the football. That, that's always first and foremost. Interesting, that game was played. The quarterback at UCLA was a guy by the name of Rick Neuheisel. He was the starting quarterback and went on to a, a great coaching career. And then uh, Carl Durrell was the uh, star wide receiver on that team. And he's coached throughout the NFL is now the head coach at the uh, University of Colorado. So they, they had some good players and a, a good player in the back end. Kenny Easley was a safety, all-American safety back there but a talented, talented team. Gotcha. And now after your time at Illinois, you crossed over and went into coaching in the NFL, quarterbacks coach for the Indianapolis Colts. In your mind, how is that different? What is it like coaching at the NFL level versus coaching collegiately? Well, the first thing you learn right away is it's a marathon. You know, they, they, they start early or late July. I think back then we went about the 16th or 17th to Anderson College in Indianapolis. Just making it through the four to six game preseason schedule was unbelievable. And, and then you finally hit the starting line for the 16 games. So when somebody explained to me it's a marathon, not a sprint, it resonated and it always has since then. So it's a grind and, and you just got to be ready to do it day by day by day. And how did your coaching approach change uh, because of that and also because of the dynamic or the demographic of the players you've got older kids, young adults playing uh, professionally versus when you've got, you know, 18, 19 year old kids in high, in college that are playing. Well, there's a funny story about the, the, the year that I was at uh, Indianapolis, our starter ended up being a guy by the name of Art Schleister. And uh, for people that know football, um, Art had a, a gambling issue that nobody knew about back then. And there were no cell phones then. And, and I wondered how come every time I came out of a meeting, he was on a payphone. And it was because he was putting down bets. He ended up going to jail for that. But, uh, and that was the guy that we threw in with and said, this is going to be our starting quarterback. And he only lasted for a game. And we actually cut him, which is, would be rare in an NFL today. But he didn't play very well. It was at the end of the Chuck Knoll era for the Pittsburgh Steelers that we played the first game. And he didn't play well. And uh, we brought in a guy named Matt Kofler from San Diego State. And he played a lot of the rest of the way. And was there a memorable game for you with the Colts that first season in the NFL as a coach? There was. So that was 85 and the 85 Bears, my hometown team, uh, won the Super Bowl that year. We played them in Soldiers Field and really had a chance to beat them. It was the uh, week after they, I think, lost to uh, Miami on Monday Night Football in, in Miami. And we played them unbelievably tough. I think it was a three-point game and had every chance we wanted to, to beat them there in Soldiers Field. Gotcha. And was there any standout player that, that you coached while you're in Indianapolis, someone that really you know, just thought was a great athlete, great person, both on and off the field? Yeah, I'd say probably uh, Randy McMillan was one of our running backs, was, was really a, a good player at the time. And then uh, a center by the name of Donaldson who ended up being an all-pro, was, was a consummate pro, took care of his body, took care of the way he prepared. And really, he was the quarterback and offensive line and almost the offense for that matter. And what was it about them, aside from the preparation and their talent, that made them great, great leaders, great players? Well, they were motivated to learn in advance and didn't think themselves as experts. So, so anytime they could get better in their expertise, that was a value. And I think you asked me a question earlier. The biggest thing about coaching in, in the National Football League is if you can give somebody a morsel that they can hold on to something that makes their game better and allows them to stay in the league for another week or another month or maybe make it for that year, that's valuable. And so if you can do that for those guys, they respect the heck out of you because you're prolonging their, their game. 
And you bring up a good point about you know being willing to learn. And I think as professionals off the field, it's important for us, even if we are regarded as experts in our field, there's always things that we can learn and improve upon. And so that's how you really stay a great leader, a great teammate is by not um, something I write about in my book is you know checking your ego at the door and really always being willing to be coachable, being willing to, to learn and see how you can improve. Exactly. So it comes down to being a self-starter, to take initiative, uh, to request opportunities or, or, you know, work at tasks that that aren't expected of you maybe and and taking advantage of an opportunity like that to learn and and maybe develop new skills that are uh, out of your personal interest. Yes, absolutely. So after the Colts, you went back to coaching for a few different college programs, including the University of Wisconsin. And uh, so talk to us about your time coaching in Wisconsin. Well, I'm going I'm I'm to take you the next step in the journey was Northern Arizona for four years. I was the offensive coordinator and uh, Andy Reid, a guy that most people would recognize now since he's got a Super Bowl under his belt, was my offensive line coach there. That was a great respite in Flagstaff, great part of the world. And then I bounced for one year to Utah and then was able to get back in the Big Ten at the University of Wisconsin and be closer, um, had four children at that point in time, and be closer to aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. And Wisconsin was a, a kind of a downtrodden. They were 1-10 Barry's first year. I got here his second year. I think we had two five and sixes and then were able to uh, go to the first Rose Bowl there in, in 20 years. And Barry had a plan, you know, it was a don't flinch, run the ball and stop the run. And if you're able to do that in most places, uh, football-wise, you're able to win a lot of football games, particularly in the Big Ten. Sure. And Barry Alvarez, for those that are listening that may not be uh, super in tune with, with football or college football, he was the head coach for the Badgers for many, many years. Tell us, what was it like coaching with Coach Alvarez and what elements of his style really impressed you? Well, you know, he, he wanted the guys to have their own personality. His big thing was, you know, we took a lot of twos and threes as opposed to ones. We wanted a lunch pail gang. You know, we wanted the guys that put their hard hat on, that were blue collar, uh, weren't afraid to get dirty. And we really kind of built the team in that way by and large. And like you mentioned before, not, not a lot of egos. There were dirty jobs to be done, but there were guys that could do those jobs and they understood what their role was. Uh, we ended up having a quarterback that carried a little bit there and won our first Rose Bowl in 93. And were there any lessons or advice that Coach Alvarez had shared with you? Something that's always stuck with you? You know, you just got to be yourself. I mean, he's as authentic a person as there is. And having worked for Lou Holtz and Hayden Fry, he, he understands the merits of, of working hard, but he understands also the merits of playing hard and enjoying yourself too. And that really rang through with me and, and his personality. Great. And now one of the players that you got to coach while at Wisconsin was Ronald Dane, who won the Heisman Trophy in 99, ended up being a first round draft pick in the 2000 NFL draft. And then he played for eight seasons in the NFL with uh, the Giants, the Broncos and the Texans. Tell us about what it was like getting to coach Ronald. What was he like? What did he do to ensure that he was an elite athlete on the field? Well, you know, from the minute he showed up in the summertime, he showed up at about 255 pounds as a running back, which extremely rare, maybe Jerome Bettis or, or somebody like that. Our mission as coaches, we, we all had it in our mind was during the summer conditioning, he was going to drop 20 pounds and play at 235. And if we could get him to 235, be a well-conditioned athlete. After about four or five days, our strength coach came up. He said, uh, yeah, doing all the body mass index and that type of thing. He said, 
coach, we are going to make a big mistake if we ask Ron Dane to lose 20 pounds. He, he doesn't have it to lose. It'll weaken him. And we were all kind of flabbergasted. We had never heard of a running back that was that big a man. But he was right. He, he may have lost uh, seven or eight pounds, but he didn't have 20 to lose. And he, he was very effective. And I think he got in uh, the second game. He carried it a couple times his first game. And the second game beat, beat out a young man by the name of Aaron Stecker, who went on to play at New Orleans and, and Tampa Bay and ended up being a Heisman Trophy winner, really unmatched as, as a running back. And were there any characteristics about Ron that really helped him to bring out the best in his teammates? Well, there's another guy, again, it was probably the program as much as anything, not afraid to work, easy to smile, never took himself too seriously. And again, he was a, he was a lunch pail guy that the offensive line liked blocking for because he was a guy that would get you those tough yards, was probably better at, at the end of a game carrying the ball than the beginning of the game. Great. Thanks for sharing that. And one other person that you got to coach at Wisconsin is someone who I absolutely love and who's a dear friend of mine, Tony Simmons, who was known as Touchdown Tony. And the reason he was known as Touchdown Tony is uh, he was scoring touchdowns. He actually was the school's all-time leader in touchdown receptions with 23 during his college career. So talk to us about Tony. He was one of the first guests on my podcast and he did a great job. I love his energy. I just love who he is. What was your opinion, and do you have any fun stories about working with Tony? There's a guy that always has a smile on his face, and as you mentioned, his energy is infectious. Maybe the best story I have is, is him catching a touchdown pass or a big big catch against the uh, Indiana Hoosiers. We were, we were getting beat by them. John Harbaugh was their secondary coach then, and so it was fun to beat John. And, and in re- retrospect, working with him at Philadelphia, it was fun to be able to rub it in a little bit. But he had a big touchdown catch against them that, if, if we don't have that throw and catch, we're not going to beat them. And I think we were probably favored that day. Gotcha. So now let's fast forward a bit. Now you're back in the NFL and you're the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Talk to us what it's like to be the head coach of an NFL team. Well, head coach can't ever have a bad day. You're the leader. You got to be a critical thinker and you got to be able to have some interpersonal flexibility because you're going to meet all kinds. And so you're kind of carrying the stanchion day in and day out when you walk up in front of that room and 90 guys are staring at you and in the season, 60 guys are staring at you. You got to be able to set the vision of where you want to go and how you want to do it. That's a completely different deal. And until you've sat in that chair, you, you don't even realize. You think you realize, but you, you don't realize how all-encompassing it is. And what was your focus when you first got there? And what was the first order of business that you wanted to do as the head coach? Well, I wanted to clean up the locker room. It was a little bit of a country club mentality when I got there is, is what I felt. You know, I wanted to toughen, toughen the crew up a little bit. We went six and 10. We went eight and eight. We went 10 and six. We went 12 and four. So we did that incremental improvement, but we got our kind of guys in there, the Steve Hutchinson's of the world, the Jared Allen's of the world. We ended up having Brett Favre there at the end for a couple of years, but played really good defense and we're very efficient offensively with a guy like Adrian Peterson where you can turn around and hand it to him. And as a leader, what are some of the specific things that you did to create a, a positive environment both on and off the field for your guys? And how did you really create that foundation for success? I know you talked about cleaning up the country club mentality. What else did you do? Well, what you end up doing is you have kind of a man by man, who are the key guys? And you, you got to be able to interact with those key guys that are your leaders because you don't follow them back down to the locker room. Whatever's going on, whether it's uh, 
there's gambling in the locker room, you don't want that in there. You know, you got to be strong enough to say, I'm taking it out and then have strong enough guys that are going to adhere to that. I just think you got to, you try to get other people's input. You got to listen to your team, uh, but by the same time, stay focused and detailed with what you're trying to teach. And as simple as things, somebody talking to the press, you know, I'd always end up having a PowerPoint in the morning, just a quick three or four minute shot about news around the NFL and uh, what other players were saying either about their team or about the team they were about to play. And, and just stop and think a little bit, say, hey, if I, if I said that, if I was a player that said that in this room, you know, how would that reflect on my quarterback or how would that reflect on us as a team? For guys to be mindful, just making them be mindful to the extent that they can, it, it, it's a huge thing. And it's not something that, you know, guys get bored and meeting with. But if you're there and you're present and you're mindful, you got a chance to be a good player because you're already a good player uh, as an athlete. Yeah, I like that. I think it's important for us to always be mindful, whether we're an athlete or not, of uh, how we're communicating, how we're coming across to other people and how we're being perceived as well. So while you were in Minnesota, talk to us about some of the highs and maybe some of the challenges and struggles and what you did to overcome those issues. Uh, high was going to the uh, NFC Championship game, winning, getting the first round by and going to a really tough place to play in New Orleans and, and uh, really playing them off their feet. It was the only game in the year we had five turnovers. We had uh, one turnover once, I think, and two turnovers once. And, and never in our wildest dreams, we believe, we'd, we'd play in the championship game and, and put the ball on the ground five times and still have a chance to win in overtime. So, so that, was, that was one of the highs. But I, I think, you know, being able to beat Green Bay twice when Favre was there was, was great. And obviously, never forget going to uh, Lambeau Field uh, with him as a return and him being the, uh, you know, the evil empire uh, at that point in time. You never forget that. And you never forget him uh, on Monday night football, throwing a ball that ended up winning a guy in Espy, uh, a catch at the back of the end zone. It was Mike Singletary's 49ers. He takes us down the field on a 60-yard drive and rifles one in the back of the end zone. Still one of the great catches of all time by Greg Lewis. Yes, yeah, I, def- I remember that game. That was a good uh... It was a good game. So name some of the other great players that you got to coach and interact with uh, in your career. And who, who has stood out from you? And again, I've asked this before, but aside from the talent, why did they stand out in your mind? Probably my, my first year. And, and Andy talked me to leaving Wisconsin after a Rose Bowl win there, uh, our, our second one at Wisconsin, with the idea that we had the second pick in the draft. And, and it was the uh, 99 draft. So they, it, they came off the board. Tim Couch went first, uh, went to Cleveland. We, we picked out of McNabb, and I think third was Achilles Smith. There were, and then there were others. Uh, Caden Down, I think, went to Chicago. Culpepper went to the Vikings. But we got Donovan McNabb. And when I think about great players, Donovan's one of them. He's, he's a guy, yes. when you talk about a franchise quarterback, to me, it's a guy that can put the team on his back and can get them to win a game and can will a game himself, make it happen himself. And, and Don was able to do that with his legs, with his feet, uh, with his mind. Really, really a good player. And then the thing I remember the most about him, he could do, uh, back for the old people that don't remember Johnny Carson uh, at 1030 <laughs> at night, he could do 10 minutes on Johnny Carson. He could imitate anybody. He had me down to a science. He had Andy down to a science. And he typically did get the place roaring before the coaches walked in with, with, with some of his uh, imitations, you know. So I'll never forget that. And he's a great, great personality, great, great guy. 
So yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching Donovan play back in the day. And I've never personally met him. But one thing I've always observed from his is he just always had this positive uh, aura around him. He's always smiling, not necessarily uh, during a game if something wasn't going right, but just his general character. Whenever you saw images or videos of him, he just seemed to be a very positive and upbeat kind of guy. He was something. And, you know, who, who else taught me a lot? Everybody has their own opinion of Terrell Owens. But when he came to us at Philadelphia, I mean, people remember sit-ups in the driveway and that type of thing. But what really struck me and struck the position group at the wide receivers was when he stepped on the football field to come to practice or to come to a game, he was resolute in, in the details and how hard he worked. He would take a ball from a 30-yard line and run 70 yards with it every single time he caught the football in practice. And our guys were kind of like, whoa, is that, is that how you do it? You know, he learned from Jerry Rice. So the games ended up being easy for him. Just his work ethic, I think, rubbed off on everybody on that football team because they never seen anybody work like that at that position. Gotcha. Now, you've mentioned Andy Reid a couple times. So I'm going to ask you, I mean, obviously Andy you know, is reigning Super Bowl champ, uh, head coach. I've loved watching Andy Reid for I don't know, Andy's been around for, for quite some time. And so I was very happy to see him get a Super Bowl ring. In your mind, talk to us about what makes Andy Reid a great coach. The first thing is he doesn't care who gets the credit. He, he loves the game. He researches it like no other. He's never staying the same. You can say it's a West Coast offense, but things that you see him doing, he, he may have mined out of a college film. I can think about going back and us doing Carson Wentz, grading him when he was coming out and if I say this right, South Dakota State, I think South Dakota State, they'll, they'll kill me in the Dakotas, but we saw them doing some things on film that we went, whoa, look at that idea. Put a little cut-up tape together and kind of made it our own. And imitation in the NFL is the greatest form of flattery. So uh, whether it's a jet sweep or whether it's a, a five verticals and somebody's doing it a different way, he was never afraid to, and, and he's doing it to this day. I know he keeps the flashcards right in desk, his desk. I can see right where he keeps them, the three-by-five cards, and, and uh, is always scribbling ideas, ideas, ideas. And so I, I think he's, he's grown, and he continues to grow, and he embraces growing uh, each and every year that he's in the business. Gotcha. And I think that's important to, to embrace that growth and looking how you can grow and going back to what we talked about before, improving, right? So how about when things don't go so well? Football is a fast-paced game. How do you stay mentally focused? How do you keep your guys mentally focused when things aren't going so well? You're down a few touchdowns and there's still, let's say, you know, you're down a few touchdowns in the beginning of the third quarter. So plenty of playing time or game clock time left to still turn it around. What What do you do to keep your players uh, motivated and uh, and focused on what they need to do I really believe this you got to be positive with them you got to show them how they they can go ahead and do that and that comes from going back to a training camp practice where you said hey we're going in the fourth quarter and we're two scores down do we have a way that we want to play at that point in time and we did it at Kansas City there's a there's good tape of, of us being 21 down 21 nothing to San Diego Chargers the first game of the year and uh, coming back and beating them and that was in the fourth quarter, we were down, but we practiced that before. We practiced being two scores or three scores down and changing the tempo with which we played. Unless you've practiced it before, it's it, it's really hard. And and there was a, there's a belief then, since you attack things that way, that okay, we're in uh, we're in a save mode here. We know what we got to do to save this game and how we're going to play. And and there's a certain set of rules that goes along with that. So situational stuff is is huge, and and just being able to 
bring guys back to, hey, we've done this before. Look, we did it last Thursday in practice. We did it during training camp. That's important. Sure. And how about when somebody fumbles the ball or drops the ball on what was going to be a big play? How do you deal with that? And, and how do you get refocused on what needs to happen next? Got this from Andy. I believe the guy fumbled the last play that, you know what, maybe the first play of the next drive, we're handing it back to him again because we've got faith in that guy. You, you have to continually demonstrate faith in, in the guys that are uh, playing for you. And, and there's nothing like builds confidence to having success that way. You bring up a good point because we all make mistakes. We're all human beings. And so off the field too, sometimes we drop the ball, we get busy. And as leaders, I think it's important not to just chew that person out, but to really just let them know it's okay. Instill that confidence in them and, you know, just get back in there and and keep focused on what needs to happen next. So talk to us about uh, you recently retired. What's next for you? What fun things do you have planned in your retirement? Well, I got to say this, you know, you learn over the course of time, things aren't always the way uh, you think they're going to be. So I retired and, and then about a month later, this this COVID thing hit. I mean, who, who heard of COVID? Who, who heard of social distancing uh, before February this year? We did as much self-isolation as anybody. And I told my wife after 20 years in college and 20 years in the pros, I said, I think this is the most time I've spent at home one-on-one with you in 40 years. We're married 40 years this year as well. So it was great. It was great. I wouldn't have had any other way. I wouldn't want to spend it with any other person than my wife. Oh, that's awesome. And happy anniversary to you both. 40 years is great. It's fantastic. Thank you. So what I want to do now is I'm going to switch to my two-minute drill and ask you just seven fun questions. Are you ready? Yep, I'll see if I can if if they're fun and if I can answer them. <laughs> that's great. I'm that's that's a good point. I may think they're fun, but you may not think they're fun. <laughs> Hopefully, you do. All right. So the first one is, what's your favorite food? Uh, I love a good lasagna. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you because I know that you're from the Chicago area, as am I, um, and you also you were on the coaching staff in Chicago. What is your favorite place to go eat in Chicago? Oh, man. My first date with my wife was Geno's East. And every time I get back to Chicago, I manage to get down there on Superior Avenue and, and uh, eat a deep dish pizza. So probably Geno's East in Chicago. Okay. That was a bonus question. <laughs> so I got six other ones still in my, in my drill, but I just thought I'd ask. My mom's favorite deep dish pizza is also Geno's East. She lives out in Orange County, California. But whenever she's visiting me in Chicago, I make sure to go get her some Geno's East pizza. Got to do it. All right. So my next question is, what's your favorite movie? Oh, boy, I've thought about this for a while. I, <laughs> I, I always love anything that Tom Hanks is in. I loved him in Forrest Gump. I know that that's a crazy answer, but he can be about anybody he wants to be. That's a classic movie. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was a great movie. Great, great message. Do you have a favorite football movie by any chance? I don't think I have a favorite football movie, no. I, because when, when if anything, I guess it's like people that work in the operating room or doctors, when you see something on a medical show that's not accurate, it kind of turns you a little bit. And, and so I, I guess I don't have a real favorite one. I gotcha. Okay. How about who is your favorite professional uh, sports team? It's the Chicago Bears, hands yes. down. I, I grew up watching them. I was, I was lucky enough to be in the third base bleachers in, in Wrigley Field when the Bears played there and actually saw Gail Sayers 
injure his knee, devastating knee injury. Mm -hmm. And I was just a kid then, but I can remember him running toward us. And I remember that canvas stretcher that they took him off on with his, uh, with his cloak around his, his shoulders. Yeah. So Chicago Bears is my favorite sports team as well. Um, so my next question is, what is the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a coach or a mentor? I think the best thing is be authentic, be yourself. I mean, that's who you can be the best. When you try to be, be somebody else, you're going to screw it up. Your best has got to be good enough and, and be authentic, be, be you. That, that, that's, the, that's the biggest thing, I think, for any player and any coach. The level we're at right now, they've got skill and ability, and you have to rely on it. You have to give them direction, of course, but I just think be authentic. Great piece of advice. And how about I'm going to flip it now. What's the best piece of advice that you would give someone? Be on time and and work hard. Half the battle is showing up. There you go. I like that. All right. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? That I live uh, two years, my junior and senior year in high school with my uh, high school football coach. Might have had something to do with me getting into coaching, I think, John. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then my last question is, if you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? (laughs) I see. I go back to the old Batman and Robin when they were, used to be on TV, and it was uh, uh, forget the two guys' name, but uh, probably Batman. Okay. Any particular reason? Just because I thought he had a cool car back then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So as we wrap up our show, any last thoughts for our listeners? No, I just appreciate being able to come on and, and talk about the game I love. Hope that if there's a, any little snippet that somebody can grab that uh, and hang on to that helps them on their path. I'm all about it. Well, again, I appreciate you being on. Share with us, are there any social channels that you're on that people can just see what you're up to in your retirement days? Facebook's about it, but I don't, I don't post a great deal on there. I'm, I'm more into looking at other people's and looking at my, my grandkids and, and uh, my sons and my daughter, um, see what they're up to. And they're not really high in the media either, but Dad, have you seen this? Have you seen that? You know, they show me how to use those applications. So, uh, but I'm not out there a whole bunch. Okay. Well, I appreciate you being on the show today, Brad. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jen, for having me. And thanks again to everyone for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball check out my website at www.jenniferagarrett.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.